Welcome to the Michigan Minds Podcast, a quick and informative analysis of today's top issues from University of Michigan faculty. Thank you so much for joining Michigan Minds. I'm really excited to speak with you today and learn about this exciting new center at the University of Michigan. Can you please introduce yourself to our audience and share a little bit about your role at the university? Sure, and thank you so much for having me on the show. My name is Celeste Watkins Hayes. I am a university diversity and social transformation professor. I am the Jean Fairfax Collegiate Professor of Public Policy, and then I'm a professor of sociology here at the University of Michigan. I'm also the Associate Dean for Academic Affairs in the Ford School, and I'm also serving as the Founding Director for the Center for Racial Justice here at U of M. Such an incredibly impressive portfolio of titles and work and expertise that you have, but I'm really excited to talk with you about the Center for Racial Justice, as you said, which you're the founding director of and was recently launched at U of M. So can you tell us about the center? Sure. So at the Center for Racial Justice, we seek to explore, analyze, and understand how public policies have advanced or undermined the goal of racial equity. We seek to eliminate evidence-based solutions. We are grounded in research, and we also want to support the change makers who advocate for sound, just, and fair public policies each and every day. So we really think of ourselves as a unit that is focused on research, but in fact, much of our work is outwardly facing through our events, through bringing together change makers who are doing really interesting work out in the realm of racial justice, who are working at that intersection of uh, race and public policy, and to really create a hub, an opportunity for like minds to get together and um, share information, push research agendas, uh, challenge conventional ideas, and to ultimately think about solutions as we think about racial justice. And let me take the opportunity to define what we mean by racial justice. We see that as the systematic fair treatment of people, regardless of their racial background, that we seek to seek to live a world in which people are able to achieve their full potential in life, regardless of race, ethnicity, or the communities in which they were born and live and, and grow up in. So we really think that it's critical as scholars to think about all of the work that's been done to document the inequities that exist. And then for us to think about how do we share that information with the world, but also what role do we play in finding solutions? And how do we support scholars, students, and community members and change makers out in the world who are doing the work and putting research ideas into practice every day? Thank you for sharing uh, all of that detail. Um, it's, it's a really exciting new center uh, within the Ford School. And I'm wondering if you can share a little bit about what the center will focus on throughout its first year. 
Yeah, we're really excited. So first, our big racial foundations of public policy series. And this is a series that's focused on the historical roots and the impact of race in shaping public policy. We're trying to understand the genealogy of public policy. Um, How do these ideas get um, created and promoted and produced? And how has race infused that? How has our um, systematic obsession with sorting people into categories on the basis of skin color and distributing resources, opportunities to some and refusing to provide or even taking away resources and opportunities for others on the basis of race, how is that operated over time? And how does that inform our current policy discussions and debates? So that's why we call it racial foundations of public policy, because we want to have that historical lens and that sociological lens as we think about the genealogy and the evolution of public policy. It's a series that began last week. We had Dr. Trevon Logan from Ohio State come to us virtually for an outstanding conversation on the racial foundations of labor market policy. Um, I invite people to check out our website to see that recording. It was an amazing conversation full of rich detail and very thoughtful insights. On September 28th, we'll be talking to uh, Nicole Van Cleve about the racial foundations of criminal justice policy. And I invite people to look at our website because we've got a whole slate of topics with uh, Sandy Darity, uh, an economist from Duke, talking about income and wealth inequality. We've got Rucker Johnson, who's a U of M alum, um, talking about education policy. Um, We've got Jennifer Lee talking about immigration policy. So I invite people to check out our website Um, for those events. And if you've missed them, don't worry, we've got them available for you virtually. So um, in our first year, launching that Racial Foundation series is job number one. And we're also in conversation with um, our faculty within the Ford School to talk about what would a Racial Foundations of Public Policy series look like that focuses globally, that focuses on international affairs and the role of foreign policy. So look for that in the months to come as well. We're very excited about that. We also are doing a masterclass in activism. We're having a high profile conversation once a semester with a noted activist or thought leader, someone who has really contributed a great deal to our understanding of racial injustice and who has been at the forefront of promoting solutions. And our inaugural masterclass speaker will be Dr. Janetta B. Cole. She's a humanitarian. She is a former two-time college president. She was the president of Spelman College and the president of Bennett College for Women. For many years, she was the director of the Smithsonian Museum of African Art. And she's an anthropologist. And um, all the while, she has been very active in talking about women's rights and uh, gender equality and racial equality. And she's really been at the forefront of helping us to think intersectionally, which is one of the core principles of the center. The idea that while we may focus on race um, as our title within the center, we are nevertheless recognizing that race intersects with class and gender and sexuality and religion and migrant status in all kinds of different ways to shape opportunities and outcomes. So Dr. Cole was one of the, the one of the first scholars who was thinking about and writing about this throughout her story career. So we're really excited that she's going to be with us um, virtually 
on October 6th. So we invite people to check us out at four o'clock for that. And then we've got a number of student initiatives. We have amazing students at the University of Michigan who are fired up and ready to go and who really want an opportunity to come together to talk about these issues, to think about these issues, to think about how do you apply rigorous social scientific tools, but also a heart and a mind and a value system for justice and equity. And how do you think about merging those two things together through change making and um, activism in addition to research? So our students have opportunities to apply for funding through the Center for Racial Justice to do their own kind of student led initiatives. Um, to do community work that they might think is important. We'll be having an undergraduate lunch and learn where our undergraduate students will have an opportunity to meet with phenomenal people and change makers. And also we're promoting a reading circle so that people who are interested in topics related to racial justice can propose to put together a reading circle so that those issues can be studied more closely with a community of people who are interested in studying that same topic in more depth. So what you'll hear and what you'll see in the Center for Racial Justice is this very deep commitment to evidence-based work and to research, but then thinking about how do we take that out into the world? How do we think about community engagement? How do we think about policy influence? How do we think about activism? How do we think about all of those different tools that people use for social change? And how can the Center for Racial Justice be a conduit for that? Sounds like there are ample opportunities for people to get involved. And are there opportunities for everyone within the campus community? Absolutely. So what I say is, you know, while the Center for Racial Justice is housed within the Ford School, it is, it really belongs to the U of M community. So certainly for our virtual events, we invite people to tune in, not just U of M, but people from outside of the university as well. Um, we welcome that. You know, for many of our um, initiatives, there's a number of resources on campus, but certainly people should think about us as they have different ideas for reading circles and for the student initiative fund. If they're not able to find funds elsewhere, even if they're not a Ford student, they should come and at least talk to us and see what we can do. Um, the only thing right now that's open only to Ford school students is we have a class that's running parallel to our racial foundations and public policy series where there's a group of four students who are meeting after each Q&A discussion with our speakers to talk more about the ideas. And the reason we limited that to Ford School students is, you know, we just had to think about capacity for this first round um, so that, you know, we've got almost 40 students in that class and we wanted to make sure people had the opportunity to talk and participate. So we're limiting it for right now, but eventually I can see that class will probably be open to all students at the U of M community. That's the, that's the only thing that is decidedly limited to Ford School students. And with the Student Initiative Fund, we'd have to understand the project and where it fits and whether there are other resources available on campus, but certainly we're willing to talk to students about the possibility of applying for those funds, even if they're not Ford School students. Fantastic. So as the founding director, I just wanna ask, what are you most looking forward to as a part of the Center for Racial Justice? That's a great question. What I'm really excited about is creating an opportunity for people to realize their vision. I see myself as the, the director 
um, the conductor, if you will, but all of us have instruments to play in this conversation on racial equity. All of us have interesting ideas and um, many of us have things that we actually want to bring to fruition in the form of research or a project or a policy, the way a way that they want to influence public policy. And what I'm most looking forward to is just helping people realize that, to give them the resources, the thought leadership, the networks, the support to be able to, to do that. So that's what I'm most looking forward to. This conversation flows right into your research. So I'm wondering if you can tell us a little bit about that work in racial, economic, and gender equity. My, as you mentioned, my research centers around racial and economic and gender and equity on the basis of sexual sexuality as well. And my most recent work was uh, work on the HIV epidemic, pandemic. And I wrote a book called Remaking a Life, How Women Living with HIV Confront Inequality. And in fact, I think we did an interview on that book. So um, listeners might want to check out that conversation where ultimately I was interested in looking at the HIV epidemic as a lens and as a potential model when we think about the response to HIV in terms of how do we build effective health and social service safety nets? Um, How is it that a community can come together, advocate for policy, speak truth to power, and create a network of resources and policies that, um, that improve lives? And the HIV community has done that um, through the Ryan White Care Act and a series of other policies. By no means perfect, because no policy is perfect, but has nevertheless helped to move the needle on the HIV epidemic in very significant ways. So my question was, first, what are the experiences of women living with HIV? Those who often aren't talked about when we think about the HIV epidemic. We, We tend to have an idea that it's an epidemic that only affects Um, gay men. And we know that the population of people affected with HIV is is actually much broader than that. So I was interested in the lived experiences of women living with HIV. And then I also wanted to understand what is this HIV safety net that people plug into and what does it tell us about how we build effective public policies. And what we learned from the HIV case is the importance of an advocacy community Um, which the HIV community had. And these were people who were marginalized on the basis of the stigma of living with HIV. Many are also marginalized on the basis of sexuality and their race and class and gender. But one of the interesting things about the HIV world is that one of the constituencies, um, white gay men, also had male privilege and some level of economic privilege working in tandem and white privilege, we have to say, working in tandem with their experience of marginalization. So they were able to get access to power brokers and decision makers to be able to advocate hardly for their needs. And by no means was that an easy struggle. And movies like How to Survive a Plague document the struggles of that in great detail. But nevertheless, they were able to um, use that experience to to create and to help build us HIV safety net. And it's a very diverse safety net in terms of people who 
um, influence the policy. So number one, we understand the importance of advocacy and having an advocacy community that's going to push hard on policies. Number two, we understand the importance of how to shape public opinion, to change hearts and minds, to move people away from hatred and stigma and apathy to um, be more willing to confront a particular um, political and policy issue. And then third, we understand through the HIV safety net, the importance of not just health resources, but also economic and social support resources for communities as we think about the build out of safety nets. And what does the rising inequality in general mean for the ability for, for people to move up that economic ladder? Well, we're at a very difficult time in, um, in our society's history. We're dealing with rising income inequality. And with that, we're dealing with a situation where people are getting more and more distant from the experiences of people who don't look like them, who don't think like them, who don't have the same lived experience uh, that they do, don't have the same resources that they do. And it, it creates a bit of an, a kind of empathy gap in some ways for us to be able to create the kinds of public policies that are gonna be effective for all. Um, we also are dealing with a highly politically polarized environment where um, we are tempted to kind of pick sides and, and stay in our corners and not engage across, uh, across uh, communities to, to better understand issues. So I think those things hamper us in our ability to create effective public policies that are going to be effective, that are going to be responsive to rising um, income inequality. There are some glimmers of hope. Um, when you look at some of the recent policies that have been passed, particularly around COVID and COVID relief, when you think about um, the administration's expansion of the safety net through the child tax credit, when you think about what that may mean and what that is predicted to mean in terms of the reduction of poverty um, within low-income families, we definitely see some inroads being made, but we've got to keep pushing and we've got to keep advocating for policies that are more responsive to the needs of all. And that's hard to do in a political climate where talking about equity, talking about fairness, talking about even justice is um, seen as a lightning rod, is seen as controversial, is seen as divisive. That too is a political tactic that we've got we've to think about and push back on in terms of how that might undermine our ability to be a supportive community for all and to be an inclusive community for all. Because when we limit human potential, when we limit opportunities for people to reach their full potential, we limit all of us. We limit inventions that get created. We, li we limit new ideas that could be formulated because people never had the opportunity to live to their full potential. So my passion around e equity and justice is because these are important passions of mine, but also if for nothing else, we should have that passion just out of our own self-interest because it'll create a better society for all of us if we're able to see the full potential of all human beings. How has that passion in your experience and expertise impacted the founding of the Center for Racial Justice? Well, I think that there's some core values to the Center for Racial Justice. We uh, wanna make sure that we're evidence-based. 
I think that rigorous scientific inquiry is one of the best and most important tools we have to understand issues and to move beyond our assumptions and to actually see what's happening. Number two, I think that our core principle around intersectionality and having an intersectional lens, recognizing that yes, race is important, but we also need to be thinking about gender and sexuality and religion and migrant status and class and all of these other dimensions that often um, are used to limit human potential. So I think second, our kind of intersectional approach to things. And third, I think our clear desire to integrate the conversation happening among scholars into the public realm, to be able to converse with policymakers, to be able to converse with activists, to be able to converse even with artists. One of the key innovations of the Center for Racial Justice is we seek to have a visiting fellows program starting in the fall of next year, where we bring change makers to our campus to be, um, it's gonna be a non-residential fellows program, but to be in frequent conversation with us. And one of the things that we are imagining is, what does it look like to have an artist in residence at a policy school? Um, someone who's working at that intersection of race and public policy, who's thinking about these issues, who has something to say, who's trying to influence policymakers, whether it's through documentary film, whether it's through artistic installations and exhibits, but nevertheless, we're all kind of playing in the same neighborhood in terms of thinking about these issues. They're just using very different mediums because um, goodness knows I'm not an artist, but we're having the same kinds of it, debates and have the same kinds of concerns. So what does it mean to bring those kinds of folks into the conversation um, for faculty and students to be able to interface with those folks? And then for those folks to have an opportunity to interface with, with researchers and students. So that's one of the innovations that we're that we're seeking. So I, I would say third, we're interested in bringing diverse change makers together who work in different mediums, but who are thinking about how do we address these longstanding inequities. You shared some events earlier in the conversation that are coming up with the Center for Racial Justice, but I just wanted to ask once more if there are any upcoming events or opportunities that you want to highlight. Sure. Well, definitely check out our Racial Foundations and Public Policy series. And our next one is September 28th. Dr. Nicole Van Cleve, um, who is a sociologist at Brown University, is going to be talking about the racial foundations of criminal justice policy. She is an award-winning author. She published a book called Crook County that looks at the court system within Cook County, Illinois, in Chicago. It's a fascinating book. It won the American Sociological Association Distinguished Book Award. It is um, academic research at the highest level. Definitely check us out on September 28th for, for Dr. Van Cleve. And then check out our website for our subsequent dates for all of our events. We've got um, something happening on October 12th, October 26th, um, we've got an event in November, so check, the, check those out on our website. And then join us for the masterclass with Dr. Janetta B. Cole on October 6th at 4 o'clock. You will not be disappointed. People talk about, I'm working on a book right now with Dr. Cole on her speeches because her, her oratory gift is um, really phenomenal and like no other. And she is an inspiration to, um, to us all. So come and be enriched, come and be inspired on October 6th with Dr. Janetta B. Cole. 
And we will link to the website and all of those events in our show notes. Is there anything else that you want to share or add to this conversation? Well, I just want to thank you so much for this opportunity. And I also want to take the opportunity to thank our amazing team within the Center for Racial Justice. I don't do this by myself. From the leadership of our dean um, at the Ford School, Michael Barr, to our team within, um, within the Center for Racial Justice, our associate director, Dominique Adams-Santos, and our student engagement coordinator, Sharanya Pai. We are um, working hard to deliver a really high quality experience to the University of Michigan community and beyond. So I just wanna thank that team for all of their uh, hard work and creativity. And I hope that everyone who's listening gets an opportunity to um, attend our virtual sessions and be inspired, be educated, be enriched, and be ready to, to go out and make positive change in the world. Dr. Watkins Hayes, thank you so much for your time today and sharing all of this information and so much insight as well as all of the events that are coming up in the next few weeks. We sincerely appreciate your time. You are so welcome and thank you again for having me on the show. Thank you for listening to the Michigan Minds Podcast, a production of the University of Michigan. Join the conversation on social media with hashtag UMichImpact.